Hi friends, welcome to the Connected Families podcast. I'm your host, Stacey Bellward. Our purpose in this podcast is to guide you to receive God's grace and truth, and then to equip you to pass that grace and truth on to your children. And I'm so glad that you're here today. Well, one of the things that sets connected families apart is that we work to make scripture practical for parents. The Bible is our sure foundation and the first place that we want to consider in our teaching. It's our overarching perspective as we then incorporate brain science to develop practical parenting tools for everyday life. This combination very much sets us apart. Well, today I want to dive deeper than we maybe have in the past, especially here on this podcast, and talk about how the gospel and our Christian faith is integral to the Connected Families Framework. And to do that, of course, I have Jim and Lynn Jackson, co-founders of Connected Families here. Hi, you guys. How are you? Doing good. Excited to be here on yep. this topic in particular. Yeah, we've, we've already had a lot of conversation and I'm excited to dive in here. Conversation and prayer, haven't we? We had a leadership team meeting today and we prayed over this topic because it is important to us. You know, I mentioned the word gospel in the intro of this podcast, and that's a word that's really thrown around a lot in our Christian circles. But I think it's again one of those Christian words that is not really understood very well, and especially how it maybe relates to parenting. And so that's what we want to dive into today. The gospel is precious to us, so we don't take the subject lightly. We do not take the gospel lightly, Stacey. That's right. And it's a very easy sort of terminology to think broadly about, to think loftily about. But for the purposes of our time together today, I kind of want to think about the gospel in simple terms. And in the simple terms of the gospel, first of all, the word gospel is a word that doesn't actually appear in the Bible. It's a word that means good news, that Jesus Christ came to restore humanity into right relationship with God by living a perfect life, by being sinless, by being put to death to pay the price for our sins, and then rising again from the dead and being seated at the right hand of the Father, and then sending the Holy Spirit into the world to convict us of our sin, our need to confess that sin and be reconciled to God in right relationship with God, and then be empowered by God's Spirit to live a new life. And the verse in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is really a framing verse, I think, for us to think about today. I'm a new creation. Behold, everything that's old is gone, and the new is here. Mm -hmm. And the new is that I can draw my life. I can get my life from Jesus rather than from trying to measure up by my good works. Mm -hmm. um, the truth of the matter is none of us can do good enough works to measure up to God's standard for us. But because of Christ's death and his offering of forgiveness to all people, we can claim that death and life and, and then live in the teaching of Jesus as new creations. Yeah, I, I think about the day that I really stepped into true, sincere faith in Christ. And, and kind of my prayer was, God, I give you a 60, 40 year reel. And on the basis of that, you've got my life. <laughs> and I know that was when I stepped into real faith, but I think he must have smiled and said, oh, honey, you have no idea how really what's happening here is I'm going to give you life, but that's the basis of it. And it mm -hmm. took me some hard knocks of a lot of real intense self-effort, like, 
I'm so committed and dedicated and look at all my good works and just like just falling flat on my face with that until I really step into the fullness of God giving me his life in Christ. I think that's such a beautiful distinction, Lynn. And we so often think of it as I'm going to give God my life. I'm going to do stuff for God. And, and the truth is God did everything for us and God gives us life. And because of that, we can do stuff, Mm -hmm. but nothing that we do earns us anything in God's eyes, Mm -hmm. except for put our trust in him. That's Mm -hmm. the thing we can do that gains us access to this, to this teaching, to this empowerment of God's spirit in our lives. And when we think about that, as it relates to parenting, I mean, it's still, you know, we're parenting kids in their thirties now, and we're still learning about all these things and trying to figure out how to get our okayness from Jesus and get our life from Jesus rather than, you know, the the outcomes we're looking for with our children. I really love what you said, Jim, about our life is completely new. And that's just such a powerful concept that we struggle with. I know my own testimony. I, I remember feeling like like my story of, of when I became a Christian was just so boring. I was little, I was maybe six, and it was at a <laughs> <laughs> and it was at a daily kitchen Bible school. And I just remember thinking in my head, I think this is more important than going and getting the cookie right now. <laughs> I have a clear memory of that first act of faith and obedience. (laughs) That's right. It was, this is more important than my carnal flesh. Okay. (laughs) And I have a great, so, so my, my testimony though, is really of surrender to Christ kind of in a progressive way. It was more and more and more. And along with that was just growing in my love for the word of God and understanding more of God's character and who he was. And all of that was continual transformation. But that's what it, what, what you said, right? Is that I'm made new. I am a new creation in Christ when I put my faith in him. And that's what I love. I also remember back in my Lutheran catechism, I remember that the gospel was Jesus was born as a baby. He died on the cross, was buried and rose again. That was just like straight up Lutheran catechism. And, and that was, that was the gospel too. And then when we believe in that, we believe that Jesus did that, then we are saved. So I, so I, before we keep going, I just want to ask the question. So then when we hear what the gospel is, what is the right response? The right response? Yes. I don't know the answer to that. I know that ultimately I think God woos us into belief, into full trust. When I first heard the gospel, I was in seventh grade. I was at a Billy Graham crusade. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't really make sense. Like it seemed weird. It seemed weird to me, but there was something about what was happening and what I was sensing that felt good. And then all my friends went forward at the call when Billy said, the buses will wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, I, I don't want to be left in the bleachers here by myself. So I went forward. And then, so I made a decision to go. I think when we hear the gospel, you know, I think God's grace is so big that whether we do the right thing or the wrong thing, or if we respond somehow and our hearts are gripped by it and we, and we start making a response and moving toward and enter into a process of finding our way toward this life, this new life in Christ and, and learning and growing in the teachings of Jesus and believing even against, you know, what some of the, those around us and the culture around us might be trying to convince us of, we keep moving toward. I think when we hear the gospel, 
the effective response is to keep moving toward and to keep fighting the fight of faith and to keep to obey the things we're learning and growing about who God is and what God's desires are for us. I would say that another right response is I need Jesus. Hmm. We hear the gospel and I need Jesus and I need him in my life. And I want to be a new creation. And that phrase, I need Jesus really speaks to, I have sin in my heart. And I don't measure up and there is separation between me and God. And that is producing darkness in my life and not hope. Not right now is is the scriptures tell us that if we confess with our mouth, we believe with our heart that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. That's right. So it's a matter of faith and belief and an understanding of our own sin and repenting of our sin. And, um, And I think that's a pattern in scripture for what it means. And, you know, so in so many churches these days, it's pray the prayer. We pray the prayer because it's kind of a, an act of saying, I believe it's the belief that brings salvation, right? It's shifting our desire from, I just want my life to go the way I want it. Lord, I really do want your purposes. And there'll be so many times that we mess up and fail at that. And I've been a believer for 50 years now. Not that I get it right and I'm shiny and I'm just this like glowing example of a believer, but it's like, that's the bottom line of what I want in life is I want God's purposes and walk in that. That's right. So it's more than the doing like you mentioned, Jim, it's more than, you know, doing the right things, you know, whatever that prescription is that we sometimes put on what Christian faith looks like. It's belief in our heart and a desire to obey Christ and see, yeah, repent for the things and know that the Holy Spirit lives in us and is working in us to bring change. And we have such deep desire for God and for his purposes for our lives. What change? We've talked a little bit about this already, but what changes when someone believes in the gospel and essentially becomes a Christ follower? I asked that question and then we're going to move into the framework and we're going to really start going deeper into how this faith undergirds each level of our framework. When I think about my own life and what happened when I decided to get my life from Jesus is that slowly, little by little, as I, as I read the Bible and understood the teaching and got excited about living you know, more in the way that Jesus described, more in the way that the scriptures described, my consciousness was raised and I wanted my life to be more and more a reflection of God's grace and God's truth for the people around me. I wanted to be a person who loved better, who was more patient, who was kinder, who was more generous. The Bible says I should give more and I got to make God happy. So I'll give more. And no, I'm just so overwhelmed with God's love for me that I can't help but give away. I want to give what I have so that others might, might experience God's blessing as well. You know, I think in some way, when the gospel truly penetrates, when the good news and the truth that we are a new creation because of the forgiveness of Christ, when that invades our lives, it makes us want to change, it makes us want to be more like Jesus. It also helps us to bring grace to others and to ourselves when we don't measure up to those standards. As humans, we just never do. We have glimpses and we have moments where we, you know, quote unquote, get it right. We live more in alignment with what we believe are God's purposes for us. But 
you know, we never fully, at least I don't know anybody yet who has fully lived that out on earth. And so we learn to bring God's grace to ourselves and acceptance of ourselves and acceptance of the journey into our growth. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really rooted in identity. Identity is a child of God. Mm -hmm. And instead of just thinking, oh, I'm a sinner saved by grace. It's really, I'm a saint. I am a precious child of God. And so that shift is a big shift because it's like now at my core, my identity is child of God who sometimes struggles and messes up but that's the bottom line of who I am. Mm -hmm. And that is then the source of all of yeah. living out the life that, that Jesus gives us. Yeah. Early in our marriage, Lynn and I struggled a fair bit. We both came from different sorts of backgrounds and we both had shame for various reasons. And we, we struck, we wanted to like this idea of a new identity <clears throat> was so appealing. We wanted to believe that we were loved and that we were chosen and that we were God's children. But then we would struggle because we made mistakes. We'd yell at each other. And Lynn even hit me with a spoon one time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was going to say that. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Do you want to say anything else about that? <laughs> yeah, well, was, like, <laughs> like that, Lynn. <laughs> Lynn was on the phone uh, and it was coming up on my birthday and she was making some stuff that I thought was for me, some desserty things. And so I kept snitching and she kept shaking her head. No, don't do that while she was on the phone. And I kept snitching, snitching. And she finally took the little wooden spoon that she was <laughs> mixing with and she just sort of whacked the back of my hand a little bit. And I was like, what have I, this is like a year or two into our marriage. Like, what have I gotten into here? <laughs> so I'm snitchy, snitchy. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we had all kinds of different challenges and struggles. So Lynn smacked you with the spoon, but what you're getting at is that you came into your marriage with baggage and you were just so grateful. It was messy. And we were trying yes. to get rid of God's grace and God's truth and live by it, but we struggled every day to do it. And we learned to go to the first two chapters of Ephesians, chapter one and chapter yes. two, to keep reminding ourselves, because this is a this is a teaching where Paul is talking to believers in Jesus and he starts out, he wants to do some teaching later on about you know life in the church and, and how to, you know, responsible Christian behavior and whatnot. But he he wanted to be sure, I think that he just impressed upon them what the truth of their identity was because of the work of Jesus, not because of any work that they had done. And he uses words like you're adopted, mm -hmm. you're uh, heirs, you have been freely given God's grace, you are redeemed, you are forgiven in accordance with God's riches. You've been given wisdom and understanding of God. The mystery of his will is made known to you and so on. And it just goes on. You're chosen, yeah. you're beloved, you're an heir to all these things. Every and spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing is yours. You're a new, what, yeah, what is Ephesians 2.10? We talk about this all uh -huh. the time. I'll say it. <laughs> you okay, are so God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. That is who you are. That yes. is who we are. And we just kept fighting to remember mm -hmm. and yes. to believe that this was true and to be encouraged by this so that when, you know, now we've been married 36 years, we blow up with each other frequently, but, you know, we just are able to laugh more and more all the time and just go, ha, we forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We forgot who we are again, and it happens, and I love yeah. you. God's, isn't God's grace good? And that's how the gospel uh, has shaped us, this new identity because of the perfect life and then death and then resurrection of Jesus and then the leaving behind of God's spirit to be our helper, our teacher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Man, I love all of that so much. And and when I think about my life and just answering that question, what changes when I really believed that I was God's daughter, you know, what became a Christian, my Christian worldview, it's just so big. I mean, one of the core things that I believe is that I see the world as God's kingdom. And I get to have a role in it. Mm -hmm. And it comes out of even that verse we just quoted, you know, Ephesians 2.10 works that God preordained for me to do. So if I'm God's workmanship, he created me specifically with my personality and my giftings and, and who I am to do the things that he wants me to do. So I automatically as God's chosen daughter have a role to play in this world that has significance. That's just such a huge core belief of who I am. And along with all of that is just God's sovereignty, right? Like just he's a creator. He's just so big. So if he created me that way, then out of that even came God created me, just me perfect, like who I am to be the mother of my children. Mm-hmm. And God and his sovereignty brought our family together. That's significant for me because I have an adopted and biological daughter. There, you know, there's just time. Am I the right mom? We asked that. I think maybe if it's adopted or not, like, am I, do I have what it takes to do this mothering job? And the answer is yes. God is sovereign and God brought us together. And so all of that is just core value system and core belief that changes me, that gives me peace, that gives me confidence, that makes me show up for my kids in ways that is peaceful and confident. I want to twist that just a little bit though, because yes, God built you to do this, but at the same time, I mean, Lynn and I, there were a lot of times we looked at each other and was like, we can't without Oh, the truth of who we are in Christ. We can't do this. I couldn't do this without remembering. And, and, you know, we haven't spoken to this and it's yet the obvious thing in Ephesians chapter three, Paul closes this big grand sort of list of all the, you know, what's true about you because of Jesus. And then he says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded may know how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ for you. Because that's what anchors all of this stuff. So our first job isn't to figure out how to be good parents. Our first job is to figure out how to receive and believe in the great, good, pervasive, lavish love of the Father for us. And then bring that into our efforts to parent. And from that place, God equips us to be the parent our kids need. Well, and we will sin and we will fail and we will need (laughs) to depend on the father over and over and over again, which is another one of my core beliefs, right? God, the father, God, the son, and the Holy spirit, the Holy spirit is my helper to guide me each day to convict my heart when I acted harshly and spoke harshly and to give me what I need to be able to do a (laughs) do-over or even just wisdom in the moment. Yeah. And one of my greatest privileges in coaching parents is to just get to know all these parents that so step into a sense of calling to really bring mm-hmm. God's grace to their mm-hmm. kids when they're struggling. Mm-hmm. And to me, when I watch that, it's just like, wow, that's the gospel coming to life in the messes of family life. And I have been grateful to tears 
that I get to walk alongside these parents and just see Jesus flowing through them to their kids. Mm -hmm. Not perfectly, of course, but just with everything changes when we have that passion to, of course, I have a calling in this world. And if I have kids, of course, that means part of my calling is to parent these kids to also go into the world and make a difference. 100%. Yeah, it's so beautiful to hear coaches or uh, uh, clients testimonials regularly. And, 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 you know, the kind of testimonials that most encourage us are the ones where parents say, you know, everything was so, so stressed and so controlled and so tight, and mm-hmm. so difficult. And there was so much tension in our home and learning to bring these gospel truths into parenting, into my own life as a parent, and then into our homes brought such a lightness and such a new sense of profound sense of joy in our home in the midst of the messes. Like the messes don't just all of a sudden go away, but the way that people feel about them, talk about them, go about addressing them is now so much lighter. There's so much less pressure on getting it right all the time. To hear these parents reflect on how the high pressure of getting it right just sort of fades. And it doesn't mean that they're not working toward progress. They are, but the, the, the pressure is gone. And just say it really succinctly, Jim, why is the pressure gone once they learn the gospel? Why? The pressure is gone because I don't have to get it right. I don't have to get my kids to get it right. I don't have to find the right formula to make everything go smoothly in order to be okay. We're okay here because of the life, the death, the resurrection, and the new life of Christ in this space and in in each person here. Amen. We just laid such a great foundation. (laughs) We need to go to a break, Jim and Lynn. We'll do that and we'll dig into the next layers of the framework. We are going to save the fourth layer, the coach or the message you are responsible for your actions. We're going to save that one for the next episode. But um, when we come back after the break, we're going to go through the other layers of the framework. So hold on, everybody. We'll be back in a sec. Do you have one really intense child or a couple? Almost every family in the Connected Families community has at least one child who is more sensitive and more intense than the other kids. Often what worked for your other kids doesn't seem to work for this intense child. Well, don't pull your hair out in frustration or try to force a square peg into a round hole. Some kids are different. It's a game changer when you learn some new parenting skills and can truly understand and empathize with your sensitive and intense child. Listen, you've got this and we can help. Our free online course called Seven Practical Calming Strategies for Young Kids will take you like 30 minutes and you'll learn seven activities that will help calm and organize your child's nervous system. These activities are fun and will be great in the morning if your child needs help waking up or even in the evening if your child needs help settling down for sleep. The Seven Practical Calming Strategies for Young Kids is a free online course. Our show notes have all the details or go straight to connectedfamilies.org. It's in the free section of the resources page. So go grab that today. Okay, Jim and Lynn, we're after the break and we had a lively, exciting conversation about scripture and the gospel. And well, anytime we get to talk about that, I enjoy it very much. What I would love to do with the rest of this podcast is just be really specific about these phrases and the things that, you know, are 
huge community around the world. They hear you teach all the time. They've gone through discipline that connects. And so they're common phrases. Let's connect them to our faith and our value system. And even what we were just speaking about the place that we start all the time. We, we say it again and again, even in this podcast is the place to start is what's going on in me. So we just talked about this beautiful identity that we have in Christ. How does that understanding mesh with the foundation and that question, what's going on in me? When we have this solid identity in Christ, we can ask that question without recoiling at what we see. <laughs> because yeah. it's like, oh yeah, I, I would see something yucky in myself many times. And it was like, I just went back to that identity and it's like, okay, Lord, you knew about this long time ago. Mm-hmm. You bought with this whole package. You see everything else awful I'm going to do in my life as well, but you love me. And so starting from that place helps me to look at those things and do what Psalm 139 says, search me, God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any of offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's written by someone who was so confident in God's love for him. He was like, oh, lay it bare because I know I'm loved no matter how yucky and awful and sinful what I see is. And so then we can recognize God is going to partner with us. And so there's no fear or shame in asking that. And if we feel that fear or shame and looking at what's in our heart, then we can go, no, Lord, you love me. You see that and you are going to partner with me. And that leads us kind of right into another practical question after what's going on is me is what do I need from the Lord? Galatians 4, 4 says, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Mm-hmm. And that's a direct reference to Jesus in his greatest hour of need and desperation. And oh my gosh, deliver me from this if there's a way, calling out to Abba, Father. So we have that same spirit in us when we feel like we cannot face what is before mm-hmm. us. And so then, you know, to just come with that, what do I need from the Lord right now? James one says, if I need wisdom, I'll get wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, if I comfort, I'll get comfort, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, God is there for me. That's really good. And and I want to ask you about another one that I, that we say a lot too. And that is the phrase, I can be okay, even when my child is not okay. And so we say that it's in the context of our faith. Can you explain that one, Jim? (laughs) I can. This is actually a phrase that we coined many years ago, working with parents of teenagers who would so often justify their, their sort of frustrated responses to their kids based on their kids' behaviors, whatever they might be, skipping school or getting bad grades or lying about where they were on the weekend or, you know, it didn't matter what. And, and parents would say, you know, I, I ought to be frustrated by this and I ought to be bent out of shape about this and I, I, I ought to be angry about this. My child is not doing the right stuff. And I would ask, well, when you feel those things, do you feel like you're okay? Do you feel like you're grounded? Maybe, what are you talking about? Like, well, in my work with high-risk teens, I've found that if I can be okay, even when the kids are struggling around me, that's not just about being calm. That's about brain space. That's about spirit space. That's about being attentive to the truth that I'm a new creation and I could bring the new creation of me into this squabble or into this fight or into this lie or into this oppositional behavior or whatever it might be. And when I could do that, 
that was the biggest gift that I could give to the youth that I was serving. And then I learned, you know, gosh, if it was true with youth I was serving who were not my own kids, maybe I ought to learn how to do that in my own home with my own kids. And, you know, Lynn and I started talking about this. If, if we can find a way to be okay, not just not just sedate, but okay, because of the work of Jesus in our lives and be at peace, even in the storm, that was a great gift that we could bring to the kids we were trying to help. That's really good. I would love to go to the next level of the framework, and that is connect. It's communicating the message to our kids. You are loved no matter what. This one might be a little bit more obvious to people of faith. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? Our belief is Jesus gets me. He knows what I need and he saved me. I did not have to change before he came and he died on the cross. And he said, Stacy, you're worth it. You're worth my life. You're worth me doing everything, giving up my life for you. So that's the message here. You're loved no matter what, no matter how you show up right now. And I was just meditating on a scripture in Luke from the parable of the prodigal son, where the the rebellious son takes all his inheritance, goes away to a far country, squanders it totally. The father just receives him with great joy. When a child is truly repentant and comes back, we can throw our arms around him. But what always amazes me in that parable is then when the older son is just a little twerp. (laughs) I mean, he is, he is insulting his dad. He's judgmental. He's angry. He's ungrateful. He's unrepentant. It's really quite astounding that then the father turns to him and says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. That's where I think there's such an astounding grace in that parable is this son that was insulting him before his whole community. And he offers grace to him. Yeah. Yeah. And we we say this in so many different ways and places, but I think we we just need to repeat it here. You know, that verse that you read at the outset, Stacey, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were sinners, like right then and right there. Mm-hmm. For us to be equipped, for us to be inspired, for us to be living in the new creation of us, we need to be receiving God's love for us in the struggle so that we can pour it out to our kids in there. And when we're able to do that, again, we've, we could tell story after story after story of how when this theology becomes real and practical in the life mm-hmm. between parents and kids, it creates a whole new trajectory for relationship, for lightness, for joy, for restoration, for reconciliation, for kids' repentance. When they feel loved in the midst of their discretions, it makes a far easier platform for repentance than when they feel ashamed, punished, you know, loss of privileges, whatever it might be, uh, because then they focus on the parents and their anger toward me. Like, you know, what's, what's going on right now? Why are you getting punished? Because my mom or dad is mad. Something's wrong. You know, it's something's wrong with mom and dad and they're, and they're taking it out on me. That's how kids perceive it. So what does it take to be people who receive God's love and pour it out to our kids, even in their discretion? That's a huge gift. Again, that's I guess a different form really of I, I can be okay. Yeah. And when I can be okay, then I can lavish my kids with love, even when they feel the least deserving of it. And in fact, when our kids are struggling 
is when they feel the least deserving of love. And that's really our best opportunity to communicate unconditional love to them. Right. That's what was on my mind the whole time. That's one of the phrases that we teach even in discipline that connects. Misbehavior is the golden opportunity for unconditional love. It's a holy moment because it's direct manifestation of us receiving God's grace and truth and passing it on to our kids. We're functioning in a, in like a priest, a priestly way for them in that moment. I have often said to parents, if you really want to share the gospel with your kids, love on them like crazy. doesn't mean let them get away with stuff, but it means love on them like crazy. Mm -hmm. So they can't miss it when they're struggling at their worst, when they're in the midst of some of their worst behaviors, make sure they know they're loved. And that's the gospel. Mm-hmm. We asked all three of our kids once, what do we do that makes you feel loved? One of them said snuggles. Another one said special dates. And the one that was the most challenging said mercy when I blow it. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't asking to be get let off the hook, but he was just like to sense our mercy towards him mm-hmm. and our love towards him. Good. I know that this whole concept was one of the very first concepts way back online courses ago that I heard you teach on. And it just floored me. I mean, it just stopped me dead in my tracks and I had to just sit in it for a while. It's a holy moment when we give love when it's not deserved. That's a holy moment. And that's so powerful. And it's really, you know, I feel like it's just only so possible when we are filled with the spirit and when we have understood what Jesus did for us, that we deserved nothing and he gave us everything. That's when we're able to pass that on to our kids. It's good. Okay. Let's move on to coach. We'll end our podcast with this one. We'll move on to the next one. I'm so excited about our next podcast also, because we have a guest coming. That's going to be fun. Okay. I'll tell more about that in a minute, but let's talk about coach. And maybe if I could just preface it for a minute, this is my own learning as a parent, the deeper I am able to receive God's grace and truth for me. That's in the In the foundational level, we talked all about that. The deeper I can embrace that for myself, the more peaceful and more confident I'm able to coach my kids. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. Somebody asked me how, Dimmerlin. (laughs) (laughs) How does that work, Stacey? (laughs) Thank you, Lynn. (laughs) I needed that question. (laughs) I think really practically, it's just even been about that. You are God's workmanship. Like even in my struggle, I can understand that God has created me in specific ways. I've come to understand myself so that when my kids struggle, I can look underneath that, that struggle and say, wait, God created them so special. I can look under the surface and, and look for the giftings and the abilities, and I can coach them to grow in that and then to grow in God's purposes for their life. That's how it looks in my life. Well, Stacy, I just have so enjoyed like learning from you in the last year, how to approach your children with a discipleship mindset of what are they going to need? They are uniquely created and called by God. So as you're in this process of bringing them closer to launching, what are the skills and values and, and beliefs that they need to launch well? And you've been so intentional about that. And I think that that's part of that. It just is totally rooted in the soil of your perspective on them as created in the image of God. When we're parents, we become stewards of 
of the work of God in our kids' lives. Yep. And I think sometimes when we resort to power struggles to get things done, when we force behaviors, when we don't allow kids to experience natural impacts of choices they're making, we sort of short circuit this oper- this great opportunity that we have to, to help them learn and grow in God's wisdom uh, around you know the experiencing of natural impacts, the conversations that we might have about that. But again, we go back to in order to do that, you know, we have to be growing in our foundation. We have to learn how to stay at peace, even when our kids aren't doing the chores the way they should, or even when their homework isn't done when it ought to be, or, or you know, any number of different things. You know, we have a tendency to get anxious. There's that what's going on in me foundational question again, like, like Lord, what's happening with me? And how, how can I bring the new creation to this instead of the old creation is anxious. The new creation is at peace. And how do we bring that new peace into our kids' struggles? And I think that this is so even more vital when we've got one of those sensitive, intense kids that really struggles because they're set up to get loaded on with shame. And if we can approach them with grace in the first aspect of just that, I love this kid, I see their value. And then with this eye for their struggles still reflect that they've got some intense gifts that they have not learned to handle yet. And they're really overwhelmed by that. But I want to make sure that those gifts are well stewarded so that this intense, high potential child is freed up in the kingdom of God to do what they were created to do. And that's a real challenge with some of these more intense Mm -hmm. kiddos. But it's like so vital because they can so easily be just crushed by a load of shame if I'm always the one screwing up. Mm -hmm. And so this having a sense of their identity in Christ is just vital for parents who have some of these high challenge kids. You know, and I would just say that, that even as you say that I can feel some parents feeling like that's so overwhelming for me to understand all the layers of what's going on in my sensitive and intense child and be able to see the good and shape it and form it and, you know, and, and delight in them and grow it, all the things that feels overwhelming to me. And I would just come back to faith because that's what this podcast is about. It's, it's again about, wait a minute, who is God? I, to my core, believe that God is also parenting my child. And so he, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fail and I'm going to tap into him and I'm going to do my best and I am going to learn what I can. And I know that I did not do everything that I need to, but I'm going to believe that God is guiding my kids and that he's going to fill in the gaps. And so I am not going to take on the shame. I'm going to go back to my foundation of my identity, you know, and who I am and then who God is in this regard when my children struggle. And one of the best opportunities parents have to demonstrate walking away from shame by faith is when we blow it. And if we parent perfectly all the time, (laughs) oh, that won't happen. (laughs) It won't happen. But if we possibly could, then that just demonstrates to our kids that they also have to be perfect all the time. So we have such an opportunity when we blow it to just model, oh, I am so receiving God's grace from you right now because I am really feeling like I just blew it big time. That equips them to do the same. Wow. This is really, really rich, super rich. We have one layer of the framework left. I'm excited because um, 
that episode, we are inviting Amanda Erickson. She's a partner of Connected Families. She runs a ministry and I would say she's a theologian. Would you say that, Jim and Lynn, her and her husband? They've grown out of a tradition that has a pretty precise way of understanding parenting, extremely well-founded in God's word and in historical perspectives. Should be a really rich conversation, I think, yep. with Amanda, just talking about correcting our kids and what's yep. what's the Bible really say about that? And, and she'll even maybe question some of our preconceived ideas about what we've been taught the Bible says about correction and corrective discipline for parenting. So I, I, I'm excited to have that conversation. Yeah, it's really the conversation around misbehavior. Do we interpret that as sin? Or is it struggle? And that's kind of boiling it way down. But we've been having conversations around that even on our Facebook alumni page and good conversation there. So that's coming up in our next episode. And I'm looking forward to that conversation. Today has been a delight with you, Jim and Lynn. Thanks for being with me on the podcast, going deeper in scripture today. That has been just a wonderful time with you, Stacey. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. Are you interested in diving deeper to learn more about sensitive and intense kids? What a free short online course called seven practical calming strategies for kids. Would that be helpful for you? We have plenty of free resources to get you started go to the show notes to get all the information. And if this podcast has been helpful, consider sharing it with a friend. Those steps are so helpful to spread God's grace and truth to more parents. Well, for more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time. 